Welcome to Building Texas with Justin McKenzie and Summer Babarak, sponsored by the Bernie Kendall County Economic Development Corporation and Das Greenhouse. And now, here's your host, Justin McKenzie. Welcome to Building Texas, where we sit down with the most interesting people who are making an impact across the state. Texas is growing fast. How are you building a bridge between your dreams and the reality of the blooming Texas economy? Today, we're joined by Luis Martinez, a Harvard-trained chemist, turned his PhD into a career that has touched many lives. Recently, you may recognize his name as an award-winning director of the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Trinity University, where he helped over 65 Trinity students' ventures, student ventures, raising over $60 million in external funding. Today, you're with the Capital Factory. We'll look forward to jumping into that conversation later, but... Summer, you recommended Luis as a guest. I did. I I am so excited to have Luis here today because our friendship goes way, way back, way back past Capital Factory, back into even before his Trinity days, if I if memory serves. So we met back in 2013 when I was in my undergrad um, at UTSA and I was in the um, Center for Innovation, Technology and Entrepreneurship Program, which is the site program, uh, which is a student venture competition that UTSA used to have where a group of engineering students were paired with a group of business students. Engineering students had developed a product or a prototype of a product, and the business students had to write the business plan, build financials, and then pitch the business. Um, and so Trinity had just launched, I think, if yeah. memory serves. Okay. We just launched our, our entrepreneurship program. Uh, Christophe Glenchai was my predecessor, so he spent a couple of years sort of getting it off the ground, and then I came in. And I believe that event that we met was one of the very first events I attended here in San Antonio. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So there we go. So I've, I've known him a long time. And um, Justin, I'm, I'm sure it'll really shock you. I did not work with a group of engineers that had already picked a product. I didn't like any of those existing. So it was products. your decision. Right. It was. I I didn't like any of them. And none of them wanted to work on my idea. So I actually had petitioned the dean um, to do the the competition on my own without engineering students. Um, and he had, uh, he, he gave me permission to do that. He said, the only caveat is you got to have a prototype. And I had developed this idea based on a really long labor and delivery with my first daughter. And so I said, that's fine. And so I became that creepy girl that hung out in the engineering building, asking people, what kind of engineer are you? <laughs> do you want to work on this project? <laughs> it was crazy. I... <clears throat> I can't put myself in that engineering hallway and think about what it would be you sitting there because your first product, we've never really talked about it. Yeah. It yeah. was, it's, it was it's a phenomenal idea. Actually. It's a great it was a product. Really, really. I remember seeing the pitch. And, uh, you won that year. We did. Correctly. Yep. Hearing that pitch and then coming up to you and being like, wow, this was really awesome. Like there's a need for it. There's a market for it. There's a place for it. Like You should pursue this and make this happen. Yeah, thank you. Well, we keep up everyone on the edge of their seats about what this product is. I think it's a testament to the education system and how somebody like Summer, who I did not know as a, a business mind or an engineering mind, um, coming into school, learning that, seeing an opportunity, and then figuring out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I think, Luis, it's a testament to educators across the country at this level that help take people to that next. Thanks. I mean, I'm really privileged to have been part of a community of incredible entrepreneurship educators who are about 
helping young men and women about starting their first thing and doing it for real. And uh, this wave of sort of entrepreneurship education sort of started about sort of 2010, 2008. Um, it's now sort of the, the standard practice in which entrepreneurship education is done. And what's really been exciting is that not only is it something that's sort of the collegiate side, but now we're seeing it with sort of high school incubator programs like the one you've got here in Bernie. Um, it's happening at the high school level. We've got elementary school kids, right? We've got grade school kids that are out there learning how to solve real problems and build ventures around them. As I mentioned, my predecessor, Crystal Glanchai, she left Trinity to pursue as an entrepreneur Venture Labs, which was about getting entrepreneurship education to young girls as ages young as five. Um, so it's been really this incredible last 10 years of as we're seeing a huge emphasis on people doing it for real. And then what's exciting as well in part because of where we are today with so much content that's available and information that's available on the internet and on YouTube, the tools and the barriers of being able to start businesses are actually so much more reduced now than they were 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So the fact that that content's available, the fact that it's easier now to be building something, and then everyone has in their pocket and in their purse like the world. Right. <laughs> so access to a global marketplace, access to manufacturing, access to marketing, access to to channels of being able to sort of communicate your product offerings and to sell your product offerings and to then get paid. Like that's really sort of exciting. So we are in an exciting time in the, in the 2020s, 2024 now as we as we approach this new year before we are not only in entrepreneurship education but also entrepreneurship overall. Yeah. I I, I think what you guys built at Trinity you built it so fast. Thank you. And it was so well done. Um, I think the only thing I'm really disappointed about from that era is I don't think that UTSA still has its um, site student pitch competition, but Trinity does. It does. So we, um, while I was there, we launched our, our venture competition. And one of the interesting things that we did about that program that was unique was that we set it up as a staged competition. So in the competition you participated in it sort of at the site, it was like, congratulations, like it's the big prize and you're done, right? right? Like it was sort of, that was it. Mm -hmm. We developed it as a staged, as a way of doing two things. One, um, leveraging risk, right? right. <laughs> it's one thing to cut a big check for like 50,000 or 25,000 to one team. And like, that's a lot. So we set it up as a staged sort of competition where in the spring we'd have an open call, people would be able to sort of pitch their ideas, and then we would choose five finalists from that experience. And mm -hmm. those five finalists then would compete amongst themselves for the much larger check. So it was a way of sort of mitigating risk. But we're an educational institution, right? So it's not about our return on investment isn't necessarily like, will those companies go off and raise money and will we get you know some level of return on that? The return on investment is like, did you, did you learn anything, right? right. <laughs> did we teach them anything? So what was really exciting about that program, and it's now been replicated in a lot of other, other places, is that those five teams would then go through sort of a summer accelerator incubator program. Mm -hmm. And so they would learn the sort of basics of building a business. So if they were an engineer and knew how to build something, but they didn't know anything about how to set up their company or company formation, they'd get started. If there were marketer folks that understand something about sort of how the business or the legal side would work as well. So we really spent sort of a, a really thoughtful 10, 12 weeks in really getting them from point A to something greater than point A. And then you'd be evaluated and some money, you'd be evaluated on what you did with that cash and you'd be evaluated then on the progress that you made. And then 
that sort of big check turns off to be the initial launching pad. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, there's a huge need in that very early stage high risk capital um, in that sort of quote unquote friends and family round. And so it was a way for us to provide some of that additional capital, $25,000 to sort of a early friend and family and sort of to change the model slightly so that, you know, what's the value of higher education? Well, one value is that We'll write your first check as a friend and family to get you started in the company. And then what's exciting is that as a typical sort of undergraduate, you've got two, four years as an undergraduate, you get a chance to build utilizing the resources of the university and the cash while you're there. And if you fail, well, you know, you're still in mom and dad's insurance and maybe you're living in the dorm and, and eating dorm food. So the, the, the barrier to failure isn't, is very different than starting a company in your 30s, right? So... The opportunity to do something, and I was really privileged to be at a part of building that at Trinity, and we made it into a globally recognized entrepreneurship program. It's been exciting to see the, and engage with programs around the world who've taken some of our lessons that we've learned, some of the great experiences that we've had, and be able to sort of implement that across the country and across the world. Well, you mentioned it earlier. I think it is nationally a phenomenon that this is going earlier in yes. education. I have a friend, Amber, out of Wimberley in Austin that has Startup Kids Club. And she'll take a trailer full of 3D printers to birthday parties and get kids interested in making their own thing or creating an opportunity. But then we go to the Incubator EDU program at Bernie, which is on its fourth year. We're going to have nine competitive teams. Yeah, It's going to be great, but we're going to have to filter from nine to five and get them to a big check. But I look at Alma Heights. Alma Heights has been doing that program for over 20 years now. Their incubator is built on high school kids coming out of it and being successful. They've got some great stories. So I'm seeing it all around San Antonio. Yes. And that's exciting, but I, I think it's a national phenomenon that's happening. It is. It's happening nationally. It's happening internationally as well. Um, you know, it, you, you, you can still, you know, build your lemonade stand if you want, but you can also build a sort of global manufacturing company, if you want, in sort of high school. It's sort of really this exciting aspect to scale. And if we think about this in the higher ed side, and we think about this then sort of post-higher ed, um, there's going to be a really great, the talent pipeline is exciting. We're, we're getting lots of people that are starting off early on, well, what's it like to build a thing for the first time? And whether it's a lemonade stand or whether it's you know 3D printing something and then you're selling it on Etsy, it doesn't really matter, like the skills of being able to do that for the first time. If you can get those kinds of reps, if you can get that kind of experience under your belt before you're 20, 22, 23, then what's exciting is that those lessons learned during your 20s and your 30s, you're kind of compressing that learning. So for many of us, we do that learning in our 30s and our 40s, and then we're ready to become entrepreneurs, right? You get to have and make that experience happen before you're in your 20s. And so the likelihood that then young people will then choose, and many of them are making this choice now, well, I could go corporate or I could go work for the small startup. Many of them are choosing working in that small startup. Or alternatively, and some of the great dynamics I think you're seeing here in Bernie as well, is that, well, I can work from here and yeah. work for someone else elsewhere. Right. And so that opportunity, whether it's a small startup or a large corporate, so we're really seeing a generational change. We're having a generational change of folks that not only are having experience building it, the, the startup um, um, Shark Tank generation is what I like to call it. Um, they kind of grew up on Shark Tank. And so yeah. it used to be cool. You would start a band. Now, if you want to be cool, you, you launch you start a, company. a company. Yeah. Well, and also you learn so much from your failures. Yeah. 
um, you learn way more from failure than you do from success. And so to have those early failures be early in life, you get to take those lessons and have your successes much earlier than life, which means, which I should say much earlier in life, then you can come back into the ecosystem as a mentor, as an investor, and it just feeds itself. It's such a great model. You're listening to Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. We're here, Summer and I are joined by Luis Martinez, and we're talking venture. Yes. And I love, <laughs> I, I regret not doing this earlier in life to make and experience that because we all learn those lessons earlier. But what I see happening is it, it opens your eyes to how big the world is, how many opportunities you're not doing what your parents did or what your neighbor, what you've seen. I, I've seen it in the incubator class. So many of the kids say, yeah, it was just great to see that there's so many options and how people may, and that's the mentors coming in. And we're sitting in Das Greenhouse right now and Das Greenhouse exists to serve this entire cycle that you're talking about. You might be later in life, retiree, just coming to a choice community saying, I want to do something. Where can I go find people with a similar mindset? Well, that's why we're here. My fear is you can find places like Das Greenhouse in cities. You can't find them in small rural Texas, but that's where a ton of innovation happens, particularly in ag tech and other markets that haven't fully developed. Yeah, and 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 that's really where one thing I used to tell my students is find the invisible, right? So if you can if you if you can find that invisible thing that's out there, that's kind of you take for granted lighting, <laughs> electricity, carpeting, uh, adhesives in the wall, whatever. If you like find the invisible, and I think that for many folks that don't necessarily live in cities, it's easy to find that invisible because you're surrounded by it. Because in many mm -hmm. cases, you've got to go out there and build it, or you've got to find a way of, of solving that problem in ways that is harder for folks to bridge when they're actually, you know, you turn on the water and it, it works, right? <laughs> you turn right. on electricity and it works. So I think there's great opportunities in rural. I think there's phenomenal opportunities in manufacturing. Um, if we think about the kinds of transformational changes that tech can bring to agriculture, to irrigation, to monitoring. If we think about um, remote sensing, I think there's some phenomenal opportunities out there that it just takes people that are really excited about building and new ideas and approaching things in new ways that, that make the opportunity happen. So I've been honored to be mentoring for a long time and walk alongside many many, many entrepreneurs. And I love working with entrepreneurs who say, Hey, look, I've got this idea and I've had this problem. I, I think some yeah. of your experience, right? Like I had this challenge and there's gotta be a better way. Exactly. So I'm going to go build it. And to your point about rural areas, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you took somebody that maybe isn't engrossed in entrepreneurship, one of the criticisms that you get is these entrepreneurs, they come up with these wild ideas and they'll just bring, build some stupid product that nobody wants. And they think it's so cool and who cares? Well, one of the things that you see in rural entrepreneurship that sometimes you don't see as often in metropolitan entrepreneurship, if we're going to call it that, it's a very common sense approach. It's those simple solutions to the problem of this doesn't work the way it should work because what I need to do with these cattle, what I need to do with these crops or what I need to do to get gas to this farm that solution doesn't work, but I can show you what does because the odds are that ranchers built it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I love that aspect of it too. Or they built a prototype that with just a little tweaking, like just a little yep. tweak. It's like, you know, that's a scalable idea, right? Right. And they and don't care. They're they don't like, care. Nope, my cattle have water. I don't care. <laughs> well, 
we're working on innovation around honeybees right now oh, that's so out of cool. here and we're working on innovation out of wood waste turning it into electricity and this I, I think to your point rural america does solve problems in a common sense get it done kind of way mm-hmm. and i wonder if in in practicality that they need that immediate result it's not a prototype it's not will it work it's How i've got to solve this work? problem right now yeah so Let's talk a little bit about Capital Factory because sure. I think you find people in all parts of that spectrum. You find people with prototypes. You find people with ideas. You sit at a place where you see a lot of deal flow. What does that world look like? Everybody's hearing the markets turned and this, that, and the other, but innovation doesn't stop. Yeah, so I'm privileged now, you know, post my Trinity uh, decade there, uh, to I'll be working as a senior venture associate with, with Capital Factory. And um, it's an incredible time, um, you know, where we are post-COVID, sort of economic downturn. You know, I've been through this cycle before where capital is low. I've been through this cycle before where interest rates are high. Um, this is one of the best times to be building a company. And we're seeing really amazing, hungry founders that because of sort of the macroeconomic climate are really focused on building solid businesses where the business fundamentals are solid. So they're managing their cash flow. They're being really careful about runway. They're being very thoughtful about what the investments that they're making. And they're, they're building customers that are going after paying. They're building businesses that are going after paying customers. So this is an exciting time to be building businesses. And so for what we do at Capital Factory, we like to think of ourselves as the center of gravity for entrepreneurship in the state of Texas. We are aggregators of entrepreneurs, of investors, of customers, of talent. And we kind of want everyone to think about Texas as one big city. And that's sort of a, 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 a big audacious goal. Um, if you think about all the venture activity that's happened in the state of Texas, that's only 7% of all VC funding that happens in the United States. Which that's, is ridiculous. That's all of Texas. Yeah, don't get yeah. summer started. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. We have such right? a huge economy. There's no way. So can we think of Texas instead of having Dallas and Austin and Houston and San Antonio fighting against each other? Can we think of Texas as one big city, one big community? And can we leverage those resources across the entire state where you're building a business here in Bernie, you've got investors in Austin and Houston and in Dallas, you've got collaborators in Houston, you've got some aspect of manufacturing or marketing taking place in San Antonio, right? Can we think about you're you're doing clinical trials in the Valley or El Paso? Like, can we think about people building businesses here in Texas where they're thinking about Texas as one big community? And so we're, we're fortunate to be sort of that center of gravity. We're the most active early stage investor in the state of Texas. We see lots and lots of deals across the entire state. We've got boots on the ground here in San Antonio and Austin and Dallas and in Houston. And so we're constantly seeing deals. Our sweet spot are sort of C to series A. That's sort of where we are for our sweet spot of the companies that we are engaging with. But we love to be talking to founders and entrepreneurs earlier in that in that process. And then for those that are that are later on as well, We've got companies in our portfolio that interest that are raising Series B or raising Series C because of that critical mass aspect of what we do. And so we help bring entrepreneurs together with investors. We've got over 1,300 investors in our investor pool. We ourselves also manage two of our own funds. So we approach every company we engage in in what is now sort of our post-accelerator program, like as an investor. Like we anticipate we'll be funding 
that deal in the future? Does it meet our criteria? Will it meet our criteria? Is it meeting those signals? We bring them to our investor networks. And then we've got this whole range of DOD work that we do as well that we're very excited about. And we're operating across the entire state, helping weave together resources and entrepreneurs throughout the state. I'm thrilled to hear somebody say that, organizing the state as a collective, because the state of Texas is attracting founders, innovators, entrepreneurs all day long. The struggle that I think Summer and I experience out here is there is a conflict between growth and anti-growth. Sure. And I don't know, I think that's what prevents the state from working together. I, I see it at, at a micro level. Kendall County and Kerr County are competing for economic development. And I struggle with that concept because together, I think we offer two very different products. But together as a region, we can solve five different problems, attract the right people that aren't going to be heavy water users that are going to fit the culture and the resources of the area. And we're going to lift them up because I also see entrepreneurs coming out of the woodworks and they're wanting to start something before their job goes a different direction. Well, I'm not saying it's easy, but we have to collaborate and cooperate because the world is flat. Um, and we're looking at sort of all contained communities, whether they're in research, you know, in, in, in the research triangle park in North Carolina or in the Valley, Silicon Valley or in Southern California or Denver. And so if we can say, look, the advantage to being in Texas is be wherever you think is the best place for you to be, we'll help connect you across the state. And so where is the best place for manufacturing? Well, it may not be in your backyard, but maybe your headquarters or your founders, the best place for them is to be here or part of your team is to here or your investors are here. And so it's a big audacious goal. Um, you know, we, we called it our Texas Manifesto in, in, in uh, 20, uh, 2017, sort of trying to have people think about Texas as one big, one big sort of unit. And we're excited sort of five years in that that's beginning to sort of take traction. And the great work that we're seeing with what you guys are doing here with the Angel Network here is showing that you can have Angel Networks and you have co-working space and you have accelerators and incubators. You've got founders throughout the state that are working and collaborating across the region. And Summer, I think your your business and your company is a great example of this. Well, I agree. And I also think that the Texans by nature are that way. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't go somewhere where there isn't someone from Texas there. And as soon as they find out, oh, oh, I'm from Texas, too. Like, you know, I was having a conversation with a very, very well-known, very um, nice accelerator program in healthcare with a big name hospital on one of the coasts. And the head of that accelerator, pro- I mean, when they select a company, they invest in the company and bring them in and give them all the resources of that healthcare system. He's from Alice, Texas. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I got you. <laughs> I know where Alice is. I did a rodeo there. I watched the sun come up in Tilden. Like, you know, I mean, Texans are everywhere. And so I think it's really interesting that as a as a state, the people here naturally tend to be that way. And yet when we have to this point in the ecosystem, it's all been very disjointed in how we're building. And so I love the idea that we're just going to take this concept that we've all been born and raised around and really just apply it to a new area where we're emerging, I think. 
And I think one of the advantages is that, you know, talking about sort of where we are here in Bernie, the, sort of the Texas Triangle and sort of the halo communities around San Antonio, Austin, like everyone gets to benefit because 70, 80 percent of like the Texas population is in the Triangle. And guess what? You can get in the car and you can drive to San Antonio. You can get in the car and drive to Austin. You can <laughs> hop on a bus and be in Houston or, you know, quick Southwest flight. So the opportunity to travel and you're there in the morning, you're back at home in the evening, um, is really advantageous. One of the things I used to mentor, and I still mentor a lot of startups, and especially those that are thinking about sort of expanding regionally, that, you know, oh, I've exhausted the number of customers I could have in insert, right? I'm like, okay, where's your nearest airport? Yes. Where are the direct flights? Yes. Where's there a flight you can take first thing in the morning and then be back at home by six o'clock, seven o'clock at night? Great. That's your region. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea I could be selling in New Orleans or Denver or, but that is the Southwest Airlines story. I mean, that is about as Texan story as it gets. Yeah, they built that airport. Our airline founded at the St. Anthony Hotel in San Antonio, but they they created it to serve the Triangle, and it has grown the Triangle single handedly in a lot of ways. And now it's how do we take that next step? And I, I think fiber networks, and, and I have a bias towards electric co-ops and the cooperative rural America world really having broadband capabilities. Oh, yeah. Because that changes a community like Lakey I've been in the last few weeks. They've got fiber internet out there. So now they have a whole new opportunity for a remote workforce, for a different quality of life, for stronger education. But they're, that little city has to figure out what to do with it, how to mm-hmm. attract, how to market that, hey, we're... We, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're in the Swiss Alps of Texas. We've got fiber internet to your home. Come work out here. That might be a great fit for them. Yeah. Whereas in Bernie, uh, we're attracting a different thing. Or in El Paso, El Paso has always been an under underutilized resource. I think there's well, a lot a of native stuff. Paso, and yeah, I, I'll be the, one of the first ones to be like, <laughs> yeah, go El Paso. Um, it's exciting. One of the things I get to do for Capital Factory as well is get to cover El Paso as well as the Valley. Um, and yeah, I mean, what's interesting about El Paso? Shout, out to, Broadway, shout out to the Valley. Shout out to the Valley. Love my love my hint down in the Valley. <laughs> One great thing about El Paso is that it sort of sits in that sort of really interesting sort of north south corridor of sort of Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Denver, Chihuahua, as well as east west. So you go east, and it's either Austin, San Antonio, or Dallas Fort Worth and you go west and it's Tucson and Phoenix and so they're in this really interesting juncture that as you as you mentioned like hasn't really had the opportunity to really take advantage of that nexus I always say we have all of the ingredients mm-hmm. these El Paso is a great there's high net worth individuals there's academic um, rigor with UT, UTEP mm-hmm. um, the military's there in a big way so there's innovation coming there all of those things organized starts to create a whole new opportunity. And, and I think that's what you really do lead across the state of Texas when you're beating that drum. And there's not VC funds out there as well that are investing in sort of venture backable funds as well. And that's exciting. We're, we're seeing that happening here in San Antonio as well. The, the growth of venture funds, I think, somewhere when you started in 2013 and you look at the number, sorry yeah. to date you, but like you think about the VC funds that were there, the number and the number that are now today, you look at this, the kind of growth that's been happening in Austin, like there is more capital now than there used to be a Absolutely. decade ago. And by all means, it's not enough. We still need plenty more. 
We need more people to be investing in the angel space. We need many more people to be investing in that pre-seed space as well as seeded Series A. Uh, but it's growing. I think that if we can begin to have more Texas investors investing in Texas, if we can have more Texas investors thinking about venture as part of their sort of asset allocation and think about their portfolios, the state benefits. Well, Luis, I appreciate you spending time with us today on Bernie Radio talking about really an organized approach to entrepreneurialism across the state and how Capital Factory is leading that journey. So thank you for the way that you're building Texas. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. Now let's head over to the Patrick Heath Public Library with Miss Constance for Children's Story Time. The Patrick Heath Library is open today from 10 to 4. This is Bernie Radio.